Hey everyone, after more than 15 years in the business, I finally got a book published. If you want to do me the biggest favor in the whole world, please head over to MikeyOp.com and buy a copy. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com, and the book is named Martyr, and it's about psychics and the history and future of the universe. I wrote it, and I think you'll love it. Hello everybody, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this week we have Jesse Jackson on the line, not to be confused with the uh, famous politician. This Jesse Jackson, who is awesome, I've actually met him before because I was on his podcast, and he's a longtime podcaster who's hosted podcasts on subjects like Doctor Who, Babylon 5, Farscape, Ted Lasso, John Hyatt, and most notably, he has done one on Bruce Springsteen called Set Lusting Bruce, which began in 2015 and has more than a thousand episodes. I was on that show, it was so much fun, and as soon as it ended, I said, I am having you on Coffin Talk, and thankfully he agreed. But when he's not podcasting and trying to see Bruce Springsteen live, which he's done at 19 times and probably more since he sent me that bio, um, he spends time with his lovely bride, Linda, and his adult son, Chris. He likes to watch TV, enjoy the Dallas area sports teams, and of course, eating too much Tex-Mex food, which as an Arizonian, I more than understand. So, Jesse, how's it going? It is going great, sir. I am so happy you're returning the favor. Uh, We had a blast. Uh, talking music and all that entails on my podcast. And so I guess now we're going to talk about death and all that entails. Yeah, we make sure to have fun here on the podcast. Before we get carried away with all that, I do always ask our guests, um, how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? So I am 63. I was born in 1959, which is the very end of the baby boomer. So I, I kind of at times feel a little out of place with the baby boomer, but I think that's my official, um, you know, area. Uh, I, my dad was in the army, and so we moved around a lot. That um, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, we I, I was counted that from kindergarten through eighth grade, I attended twelve different schools. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so, um, if people ask me where home is, I tend to say, um, Louisiana, my grandparents owned a dairy farm in a small town called Rose Pine, Louisiana. That's where my mom was, um, spent a lot of time. She was very much a mama's girl. So anytime that my dad was stationed, she would go home to her parents, which is part of the reason why I went to so many schools, because she would pick it up and move us kids. Um, so I, we settled in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which if you picture Louisiana as a boot, it is the heel. And, uh, I, I stayed there until 1986 when we moved to Dallas and Dallas has been home or the Dallas area, Dallas, Fort Worth. I've been in a lot of different Dallas suburbs, but I tend to think of it just as I, I live in Dallas. Yeah, yeah. And I can understand having been to Dallas a few times. Um, also, Lake Charles is familiar to me because I had a friend from there and we did a fundraiser once because uh, after Katrina, they also were uh, horribly damaged. And uh, so I kind of know of it a little bit. That's a, There's some like major factory or something there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It's a big petrochemical plant are located there. Uh, yes, the, you know, a lot of people that I went to high school, you know, graduate high school, went to work at the plants and you work there till you're ready to retire. And at my 40th high school reunion, a lot of them were already retiring. Wow. And it was kind of, um, 
I, I was like, wow, I guess there would have been a lot of stuff if, if I had gotten um, hired on to the plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, yeah. So that's, that's kind of me. And yeah, Lake Charles is, um, my wife is from there. So in fact, this past weekend, I just spent time there um, visiting with my mom who had a stroke in July and is now in a nursing home and uh, which I think will become a subject we'll discuss in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, only because I made a joke about it. How old were you the first time the Jesse Jackson, the Reverend Jesse Jackson uh, competed with your name for attention? Yes, I never mind the joke unless someone acknowledges, if, unless someone asks like they are the first person who <laughs> came up with that joke. <laughs> that irritates me. Um you know, I, I and you know, and I especially love when someone says, but I guess you get that all the time. The really big time was probably in 1984 when he was running for president <laughs> and really stepped on the national stage. I think that was the first time. Before that, um, Jesse James was the joke that people made. Oh, that's funny. Uh, kids in the playground that would call, and I would me being me would go no 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 you know (laughs) we don't have the same last name so how could i be related yeah that's why um i actually inversely when kids teased me as oppenheimer i was confused and asked my parents if i was related to the inventor of the atomic bomb and they were like no you have no er at the end you're oppenheim one of the things that i found interesting and hopefully your audience too is when my son went to college he roomed with a young man from China. Uh, he and his brother are twins. They both went to Stephen F. Austin, which is in um, East Texas. And they didn't room together because then they would just spend, they would just talk, uh, you know, Mandarin to each other. So they specifically roomed in different places so that they would have to work on their English. And we, we really liked, um, you know, them, uh, they, you know, Frank, they picked American names to go through and, but they called my son goes by CJ and he calls my wife LJ. Um, and just when he was 10 or 11, they just got in the habit of, he calls her LJ. Uh, and then he always calls me pop and Chris's roommates would call me Mr. Chris. Mr. Chris. And I'm like, okay, how does that work? My name is Jesse Jackson. I could see if it's Mr. Jackson. I could see if it's, you know, JW or uh, Mr. Jesse. And it was someone I worked with who was from China said, oh, they think Chris is the family name. So Chris Jackson was my son's name. That's why they call you Mr. Chris, because they think it's the family name. And I went, oh, okay, that makes a little more sense. So I guess I would have been Mr. Jesse to my friends, you know, when I was in third and fourth grade. There's so much like culture in that story. And I find it fascinating. And also, I I wanted to ask you questions about what it's like to have an adult son, because my children are anything but adults yet. And uh, that was kind of when we were ending my portion of the podcast with you, you were getting into how fun that is and uh, how you you bring him to Bruce Springsteen shows and stuff. So I don't want to jump the gun, but I'm going to go ahead and just we'll just pop the conversation right open. What do you currently think happens when you die? Well, um, I remember listening to the great Harry Chapin once 
talking about that you, we aren't sure if there's going to be an afterlife. We hope there is, but we aren't guaranteed it. And so, therefore, we want to try to do as much as we can with our current life. Um, I have had a, I was raised in a Southern Baptist home where um, very conservative Christian, uh, the, you know, the idea if you had one sip of beer, you were immediately a bum in a ditch, you know, homeless. And so I, I had no doubt that there was a heaven and there was a hell and that if you didn't, you know, give your life to Christ, you know, you were going to internal damnation. And then as I started getting older and I started thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, this, this doesn't seem right. And so it's complicated my relationship with life. I, 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 I am not someone who can believe that there is no other life. I just, I, I understand, you know, I, a lot of people I admire that and podcasts I listen to and reading, you know, are firm atheists and they believe that life ends and then it's over and you live on forever in your memory. I like to think there is some kind of afterlife. Um, the, I, you know, Mike, I'm not someone who pushes on dates. Like my mom would always, you know, I'd call her, hey, mom, how you doing? Oh, a little sad. Today is the 17th anniversary of your uncle blank dying. I'm like, how, how do you even remember this, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, um, but... Um, because it's tied into Springsteen concerts, um, February 10th is my son's birthday, and we were in, he, Bruce was performing in Dallas, and on February 9th, I got the email or text from my niece saying that my younger brother, had, who had been fighting cancer, they said it's over, he's going into hospice, and it's not going to be long. And then, so on February 13th, that Monday, we got the text that he had passed. Then February 14th was, I was in Houston, which is where he lived, and uh, Bruce was performing. And the reason why is Bruce has two specific songs in the set list. One, Last Stand Standing. He talks about that his, that one of the members of his high school band died and Bruce realized he was the last person alive that was in that high school band. And so he wrote a song called Last Man Standing. And then he ends the show with I'll See You in My Dreams, which is, I'll quote real quick, I'll see you in my dreams where all our summers have come to an end. I'll see you in my dreams where we'll meet and live and laugh again. I'll see you in my dreams, yeah, up around the river bend, for death is not the end. And I'll see you in my dreams. I believe that, you know, we're going to be together again, right? Will the circle be unbroken? Because I tend to think in musical terms, right? And so I don't know if that's a, a heaven. I don't know if it's just a, you know, call it purgatory. But I, I have to believe that there is a place where, you know, my brother is seeing my father 
and that, you know, that when my mother passes, she is going to see her beloved parents. Um, and that, um, when I pass that I will get to see the people I love. Um, I want to believe that I, 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 and I think that's why they call it faith is, you know, now a lot of other things with organized religion can give me the heebie-jeebies. And if you think about it too strong, you kind of go, wait a minute. But believing in that, I do. I do honestly believe that, um, and this is very Star Wars-y, but I believe they're always with us. I believe that the people you love continue to be in your life, either through your memories or your through your dreams or through just the the impression they made on you. Yes. Yeah, so, well, I mean, on that note, I, I love when people broach this area because it's it's rare. But do you think that people who are currently alive that you love are also doing that with us and vice versa? Yes, I do. I, I think that, um, you know, I. I can feel, so I'll tell you, 2015, I was unemployed for nine months, and nothing made me matter, Mike, than someone saying, I'm praying for you. Uh I'm like, okay, I I don't need prayers. I need you to find me a job, right? Like, can can you give me, can you give me a tank of gas? Like, you know, hey, you got an extra 50 bucks to go to the electric bill, you know, but, you know, you don't say anything. So, um, and it, it, it really did irritate me. Well, I'm just praying for you, Jesse. You know, uh, faith about works is dead. You can tell growing up Baptist, right? Now, however, 2017, I was di- diagnosed with colon cancer. And I will, every time, Someone said, I'm praying for you. I felt it. I felt the love. I felt the support. I felt the the warmth of them lifting me up. And it was just, and and I told the story to other people, right? Like, I guess maybe it's because my heart was in a better place to accept what they were saying. I mean, that's so profound. That was like chillingly profound. That was awesome. I, uh, you brought up your brother and you brought up the, the cancer scare and they both tie into the subject of the show. Um, so without prying or imposing on your privacy, did your brother pass at a young age or when did that occur? Hey everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us and it's free. That's M I K E Y O P P.com. Thanks. Yeah, no, he, he very young. I am. Uh, you mentioned I'm 63, so he would have been uh, 53. He was 10 years younger than I am. A very, very complicated relationship with him. Um, he was a uh, recovering alcoholic, uh, but I have been told by people that you know he was a dry drunk, so he did not go necessarily through all this depths of AA, and I say this with no judgment, um, you know, he was the type of person that would 
lose his temper or say unkind things. And then afterwards go, I'm sorry. And, you know, after a while you're like, okay, yes, that's good. You're sorry, but why don't you quit being a jerk? <laughs> like after a while, um, luckily over the past, um, when, since I had cancer and we kind of worked through, he and I worked through a really, we, we became, we became a good relationship together and we really built it and we were able to share, well, you know, this bothers me about you doing this and okay, that's fair enough. This bothers me. And so we did. And it, uh, so I'll try not to cry, but, um, it was in, um, probably December, January. I don't remember exactly when, but I, I went to Houston where he was staying in the hospice. And he, he looked horrible, but we talked Mike for two hours about nothing important. Oh, cool. I sat on his bedside and we talked about Babylon five. We talked about books he'd read and comic books we had shared and, you know, things that, you know, our mom irritated us about. Just, we just talked and talked and talked and we laughed and we joked and, and then, he said, it's late. You need to get to Dallas. And I'm like, you sure? Just no, no, no. I'm good. And so, you know, and he, he grabbed my hand from his bed and said, this may be the last time we see each other. I'm like, oh, come on, Dean. He goes, nope. I know it may not be, but there is a good chance this will be the last time we see each other. And I want you to know you were the best big brother anyone could have. Well, I'm crying. <laughs> and I, I said, yeah. And I said, Dean, I, I, I don't think I deserve that, but I want you to know I tried and I loved having you as a little brother. And so got in the car. So I'm just, oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So, you know, Klingon say today's a good day to die. Right. Um, this is, I, I felt a peace with that, that, okay. You know, Dean and I were good. Now, it is a kind of weird story is my mom is in, had a stroke in July. And so she is in the nursing home. She can't walk. She can't eat. She's on a tube. Um, she is, except for that, fairly healthy. Um, but we made the decision. We're just not going to tell her that her youngest died. Oh, wow. And so, so because there's nothing she can do. And so it was weird this past last week, I went to visit her. Um, and so I, I stayed three days in Lake Charles and went and visited her all three days. And, you know, the very first day, Hey, have you heard from Dean? Well, as far as I know, he's out on the road. Oh, good. Well, I haven't heard from him in a while, but I know he's busy. And then we talked about his daughter is expecting a baby. And he says, I'm, I wonder if he's excited. I said, yes, I know Dean was very excited about the baby. And, um, and so she said, I've been asked if she needs money, but she says, daddy's taking care of me, which is my brother. He did leave her some insurance. Right. So I'm like, yes, I know he's taking care of her. And so I told my sister who's five years younger than I am. She was the middle one. I said, I'm okay with this till if she started complaining about Dean not coming to see her and calling him a crappy son, 
then I don't know what I do because then I know it's hurting, but uh, yeah, it's a weird, weird situation. And, and, you know, I, I've had, and I, I know your listeners may be going, wow, why can you not tell her? And we really debated this a lot because I said, I know that if Chris was dying and I was not told it would break my heart. But at the same time, you know, and we just decided what, I don't know what the right thing is. And so that's what we did the best we could. Well, and that segues brilliantly into kind of like the overall meta question I wanted to ask you in particular. Um, you're a good person. You can disagree all you want. I don't care. You are. You just are through and through. I can tell. I can tell that you've kept good relationships throughout your life. That's very sweet of you to say. And so when I meet good people, I always want to ask them, what kept you from doing bad, shitty things uh, while you, and made you be good? Because I know that I consider myself to be an adequately good person. Like I'm not like out there like Mother Teresa or something insane, but I know that like in most situations I do quote unquote the right thing, even if the wrong thing seems easier and, uh, and to my advantage. And I said most just to be clear. So I'm, I'm assuming the same thing about you, but I'm curious, like what device speaks louder to you in those situations than the other voice? My sister has said that, um, I, I, I don't know why I, I just, I've, I have been an optimist almost my whole life. Uh, my mother-in-law, God bless her, said that I think Jesse became an optimist just out of spite in his family. Uh, you know, uh, so I think it is, you know, the, the, the high road is never crowded, right? So it's easier to take that. Um, I try to um, one of the things I think that hurts us in society, and this is not original, but people want to believe the best in themselves and the worst in other people. If I tell a joke that is slightly off color, it's because I'm being funny. If you tell it, it's because you're a racist POS. And, and so I think, you know, I try to do that. Now, funny story, Mike, right, is I've always been, at least for my adulthood, I tend to, okay, something bad's happening. What's the next step? How do we fix things? Where do I go? And so my wife and I have been married probably five or six years, and she finally admitted, like, you know, for the longest time, I just thought you were too dumb to worry. <laughs> Like, you just didn't worry. And I'm like, he just doesn't realize how bad things are. I guess he's just clueless. And she says, like, she goes, now then I feel bad about that. She goes, I now know you just are, okay, this is where we're at. I now need to, instead of spending time and energy wringing your hands and worrying about it, okay, what's our step? How do we get out of this ditch? How do we make a change? And she goes, the only time I'm now worried is if I go, what do you want to do? And you go, I don't know. Oh, damn. If Jesse doesn't have a plan, we're really in bad shape. But yes, she um, she doesn't feel that way anymore. She knows. And we went to dinner. We went to a, a restaurant. We went to a, I'm sorry, we went on vacation right after we were married. We were married a couple of years. And we went on vacation with my best friends from high school. So there were four of us. 
and we're on the end of the trip. We're driving home and Sandy says, you know, everyone got grumpy and everyone lost their temper except Jesse and Linda looked over and she goes, yeah, he's like that all the time. It's irritating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But so I think part of it is, you know, I want to do the right thing. Um, Hypocrisy really bothers me. Uh, Being ungrateful really bothers me. Um, I will, I, I, I love helping people, but when they, when they feel like, I feel like they're taking granted, that's when I get irritated. Um, but, you know, I try to just uh, do the right thing and, and try to, you know, and I don't know where that came from, but it just, it, it tends to be, um, I think part of it is I don't worry if I don't win. Like, I think a lot of people will go, well, I need to win. And my point is, well, no, it's okay if I don't win. You know, if, as long as I'm not being hurt, if the other person gets ahead, okay, fine. That's okay with me. Wow, that's that's a great answer. That was, I mean, just, yeah, I agree with so much of what you said. And I try hard to emulate a lot of the processes you spoke of. Uh, my last, like, real specific question for you is, um, it's kind of weird. I've never asked anyone this before, but I have a funny feeling it's going to be a good question to ask you. So, um, your son, Chris, what is something you wish he knew about you that you don't think he knows about you? He gives me a lot more credit than I deserve sometimes. You know, he always talks about you're the head of the table, you know, you're doing it. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'm just faking it, uh, to do that. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. We talked about this just a little bit. Having an adult child is a very different relationship, especially when you go through the teenage years, you fight a lot um, because it's the way it's built. They are trying to become independent. They are trying to push boundaries. And so therefore there's just going to be, you're hitting your head against the wall. And then um, we sent Chris away to school. Um, The first semester he did not do well academically, nor, let's just say legally, he got himself into some hot water. And um, we debated whether we should send him back to school. And my argument was, if I don't, and my wife agreed, if we don't send him back to school to make a redemption, he didn't have a chance to redeem himself, he never will. So uh, two years into it, he he was okay. He was, he did not have any other legal issues, but he was barely getting by academically. And I, I went to Linda and I said, you know, we may be trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And I said, you know, college is expensive. So maybe we should send him home. And Linda said, if he comes home, I will kill him or he will kill me. It's cheaper than an attorney. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Um, he asked to leave the dorm and we made a deal that economically it would cost me the same to get him an apartment that it was costing me to be in a dorm. And Mike, I immediately, he went from, how you doing, Chris? Hey, how's school? All right. To, hey, Chris, how you doing? Good. How's school? Well, in math, I've got a 78, but I've got a final, I've got a paper due. 
I've already talked to the guy about uh, extra credit. On this, I'm doing really well. And all of a sudden, you're like, holy, holy moly. I mean, he owns this. Like, even if he got, like, barely a C, he knew what he was doing right in there, right? And so we got his report card, and he had, like, an A, multiple Bs, and a C. And Linda said, round peg, round hole. I told you a light would switch. And she did. She had always said that she felt like there would be a point where the switch would work on him. So once we got that, and now then he's back home, he often says, young and dumb. I was young and dumb, didn't know what I was doing, didn't appreciate it. So um, it is, I say this to all the parents listening, high school, junior high, high school, first couple of years of college, tough. But there is another side where you get that, you know, where where you do get that friendship. And what's nice is you will go where he will give me advice, and uh, and which is really interesting to go, hey, and he'll go, well, hey, Dad, I don't want to overstep. No, no, no. I think sometimes you're too nice, Dad. I think you need to push a little bit more in this business environment. Because I, I, they may think you're a little weak. So if you do this, I think you, you got to be a little bit of a jerk sometimes at work. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I wasn't thinking of that. And to have him do that is really, really um, special. Wow, that was so cool. I'm so glad I asked you about that. And yeah, as someone with kids who aren't quite at that age yet, I am bracing for it. Uh, hopefully it does not happen, but uh, all all parents tell me it is certain to happen, and I'm obviously not going to uh, provoke the gods of teenagers uh, with any sort of arrogance about it. So thank you for talking about that. Thank you for talking about your brother and your mother and your family. And just, I mean, you were just such a great guest, and you were so open and warm. And I hope that people really think a lot about what you said uh i think what stuck uh, stood out to me the most was when you talked about how when people prayed for you to get a job it was irritating and then when you had cancer you felt it because i get that i get that on a really deep level and i'm thinking how can i in the future work on that muscle and be more receptive to like how different people love me and not the way i want them to love or support me which also ties into my career so i i really thank you for raising that point and for sharing and opening up to us uh everyone listen Listening, please uh, go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you listen to podcasts and give his Set Lusting Bruce podcast a chance. If you want a good introductory foot in the water episode, you could listen to me on it. Thank you again, Jesse Jackson. You've been a wonderful guest, and thank you to everyone at home who listens. The best way to support the show is to head over to MikeyOp.com, M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com, and sign up for free for the weekly newsletter that also ties into the podcast. Once again, this is Mike Oppenheim. You have been listening to Coffin Talk. And we will see you soon.